Chapter thirty six of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter thirty six. Funny thing the way people talk about salvation, Uncle Sim observed to Lois on an evening in the autumn when his legs were extended before her fire. To hear him, you'd think there was no salvation except for sin, and not even for that but what is post mortem. Post mortem salvation may be all very well. "'But if there's anything blessed, I want it right now.' "'Of course, with a good man like you. "'Good? Good's got nothing to do with it. Well, "'Not much. "'The man who's called the saviour above everyone else "'didn't wait for people to be good before he saved them. "'He saved them first and said, "'Sin no more to them afterward.' "'Oh, but with his extraordinary means. "'He had no means that you haven't got yourself, in essence. "'Difference between you and him is not in kind, but in degree.' If he could save all men, you and I can at least save one or two, or a dozen, or do something toward it. You mean, save them here? Save them here is saving them anywhere, isn't it? And you don't mean saving them only in the theological sense of saving their souls? Mean saving them anyhow. Save a man from hanging, or a child from tumbling in the mud, or an old woman from having her best bonnet spoiled by rain. It's all salvation. It all meets the human need. It's all part of the same principle. It all works to the same end. And what is the end? The same as the middle, and the same as the beginning, and the same as it is all through. He rose and stretched himself. I leave you to find your own name for it. I call it by a word of four letters, he laughed, and it begins with an L. You can't have too much of it. You know what it is, which is just what many people don't know. She stood before him, colouring, smiling a little, but with eyes lowered. "'I wonder if I know what it is, Uncle Sim.' "'If you don't,' he smiled down at her, "'you're taking a good way to learn.' This view of the principle she was using as a guide was not new to her. It was only illuminating and corroborative. It was spectrum analysis, where she had seen a star. It was the kingdom of heaven reduced from a noble phrase to such terms of simple, kindly living as she knew herself able to fulfil. It was the ideal become practical— and the present rendered one with the eternal, with the fruits of righteousness sown in peace of them that made peace beyond anything she had ever expected. On the winter afternoon when Jasper Fay was acquitted, she could look back over the preceding seven or eight months and see how relatively easy all had been. She said relatively easy, for the reason that much had of necessity been hard. The distinction she made was that what had been hard would have been overwhelming, had she not taken the principle of immediate salvation, where it could be brought about as law. By meeting each minute's need with the utmost of her strength, she found the next minute's need less terrible. By allowing no one to suffer a shade more, or an instant longer than she could help, she perceived a lessening of the strain all round. With the lessening of the strain it was easier to calm passions and disarm antipathies. If she could say nothing else for her substitute for love, she was obliged to admit that it worked. She was thinking so with a great thankfulness when Thor came to tell her of the rendering of the verdict. Though he had telephoned the fact, he was eager to give her the details face to face. He did this while they stood in the tapestried square hall, avoiding each other's eyes. It had not been picturesque, he explained to her, but it had been satisfactory. Though an hour had sufficed the jury to reach their decision, 
the farmers and market gardeners who formed the mass of the spectators had forestalled it and scattered to their homes. The dramatic interest was over. It was generally felt that no more than a formality remained. When, for the last time, Jasper Fay was led in to confront his peers, it was before a comparatively empty court. Because he had suddenly become self-conscious, Thor went on with his account stammeringly and with curious hesitations. Still wearing his fur motoring coat, he held his cap in his hand like a man in a hurry to get away. "'I couldn't see even then, at the very end, that, that the old fellow knew what it was all about. He looked round him with the same glassy stare that he's had ever since, ever since that morning when we gave him the coffee. Mind all gone, poor old chap. Perhaps it's just as well. He smiled a bit when it was all over, and they pushed him from one group to another to shake his hand, but he didn't realise what he had escaped.' Lois, too, was self-conscious. In this lifting of the burden from Thor's mind, something had changed in their mutual relation. It was as if a faculty arrested on the night Claude died had suddenly resumed its function, taking them by surprise. Not in this way had she expected the thing that seemed dead to come to life again, so that she was unprepared for the signs of its rebirth. Absorbed as she would otherwise have been in Thor's narration, she could now follow him but absently. "'How did they get home from Colcord?' She asked the question to keep him going, lest he should say the thing she was so strangely afraid to hear. He answered like a man who talks about what is not his mind, in order to conceal what is. "'I drove them in. The old fellow sat in the tonneau with Rosie and Jim Breen. Matt Fay refused the lift and took the train to Marchfield.' A little crowd at the courthouse door, he recounted further, had called, "'Three cheers for Dr. Thor!' Another little crowd had greeted them with a similar welcome on their arrival in Susan Street. A third had gathered in the grounds of Thor's father's house, shouting, Three cheers for Mr. Masterman! till the object of this goodwill responded by coming out to the porch and making a brief, kindly speech. He was delivering it as Thor drove up, just as the winter twilight necessitated the turning on of the electric lights, his slender, well-dressed figure distinct in the illuminated doorway. Thor could hear the strains of for he's a jolly good fellow, as, to avoid further demonstration, he backed his machine from the avenue and turned toward the other house. She seized the opportunity to say something she had at heart, which would also help to tide over a minute she found so embarrassing. "'Oh, Thor, I hope you'll not have to suffer any more. He's paid his penalty by this time.' "'You mean—I mean that I hope you'll never have to be any more definite with himself than he's been already. You can easily see how it is with him.' It's as if he was two men, one accusing and the other defending. I don't want to have the defence break down altogether, or to see him driven to the wall. I couldn't bear it. He waited a long minute before speaking. If you're thinking of the real responsibility for Claude's death... She nodded. Yes, I am. Again he waited. He puts that on me. He puts it on you so as not to take it on himself, she said quickly because to take it on himself would be beyond human nature to bear. Don't you see, Thor? We know, and he knows, that if Jasper Fay did it, it was not to avenge himself on Claude, but on someone else. But now that the law says that Fay didn't do it— He interrupted quietly. I've talked it out with Father, and we understand each other perfectly. You needn't be afraid on his account. I've taken everything on myself, as I ought to take it. Oh, Thor— the only thing that matters about the law is that it shouldn't condemn anyone but me. Now that that danger is out of the way, I can begin. 
She forgot her embarrassment in looking up at him with streaming eyes. "'Begin how, Thor?' "'Begin doing what you told me from the first. "'Begin to start again, to, to get it under my feet, to, to stand on it, to, to be that much higher up, and not be—' He fumbled with his cap, his head hung guiltily. "'Not be ridden by remorse, any more than, than I can help.' "'You'll do it, Thor. You'll do it nobly.' What she had to say, however, got no further, for the front door was flung open to allow of Mrs. Willoughby's excited entrance, with Len puffing heavily behind her. "'Oh, so you're here, Thor!' Bessie cried in the tone of a woman at the limit of her strength. "'Well, I'm glad. You, you may as well know it first as last.' Breathless, she dropped into one of the hall chairs, endeavouring to get air by agitating an enormous pillow-muff. "'Len's been having—now it's too extraordinary, and I predicted it, didn't I? If you've kept my letters, you've got it down in black and white. Len's been having—just as I said, it's the shroud and the lighted candle. Len's been having the strangest—the very strangest talk with Archie.' Lois crept near to her mother, bending down toward her. "'But, dear mother, what about?' Bessie answered wildly. "'Oh, I don't know what about. I wasn't there. I was in the drawing-room with Ina. I knew something was going on from Ina's manner. What's come over Ina, I can't imagine. I've heard of trial turning human beings into angels, but I never believed it, and I can hardly believe it now. Archie began it himself—I mean, with your father. He beckoned him into the library in the solemnest way.' That was after he'd finished his speech, and the crowd had stopped cheering. If it is the shroud and the taper, well, all I can say is that he carries them off just in the way you would expect. No one could do it better, as far as that goes. As far as what goes, mother, I wish you'd tell us. It's exactly what I said when I wrote you from London last year. If you've kept my letters, you've got it all down in black and white. He wants us, and Ina wants us, all to come to dinner. I'm not a bit surprised, not a bit, though I never counted on it, never!' Thor also bent over, standing before her, with his hand stretched out to the back of her chair. "'Is it about money, Mrs. Willoughby?' But she was too far beyond coherence to explain. "'He says he wants to talk to us both after dinner, to Len and me. He's been going over the accounts again. He finds—he finds—' But she beat with her high heels on the floor, and buried her face in her muff. "'Oh, t tell them, Len, for goodness' sake, tell them that they'll never believe it, not any more than me!' but her emotion was too much for the big man's shattered nerves. As he stood just within the doorway, looking with his snowy beard and bushy white hair like some spectral, aureoled apostle, he began to cry. End of chapter 36